The scripture that was previously read came from Paul's letter to the Roman church, the 8th chapter and the 24th through the 28th verse. But I would like to just lift up verse 25. And it reads, But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. A couple celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary at a fancy restaurant. During the meal, a genie suddenly popped up out of the wine bottle and the genie promised to fulfill one wish for each of them. With love in her voice, the wife said, my husband loves to travel, so I want to see the world with him. Suddenly, two tickets for a luxurious world cruise appeared in her hands. Considering this, her husband said, sorry, honey, but my wish is to have a wife 30 years younger than I am. And instantly, the husband turned 92. The story highlights the familiar quip, be careful what you wish for, for you just might get it. For many of us, we have a lot of things that we would like and a lot of things that we desire, but we have absolutely no way of knowing whether or not those things that we seek and those things that we desire are really, truly in our best interests. Many of us hope to have a new job or a better job. Many of us hope for a wife or even a husband. Many of us home, hope for a new home or even a new apartment. Many of us hope for financial freedom. Many of us hope for better or improved health. Many of us hope for improvement in our lives and the lives of our loved ones and those around us. Many of us simply just hope for a better life. Now, while all these things are worthwhile to hope for, sometimes many of these things can cause us more distress than not. I think that God sometimes has a way of holding back some of the things that we would like just because he knows that we cannot and we are not ready to handle them. So how can we really know what to hope for? If I don't know what's really good for me, if I don't know what's really in my best interest, what then should I hope for? And for what then should I even pray? Well, the fact is all life is about having hope. For if we did not have any hope for anything at all, we would be left with nothing more than a life and a world full of despair. So today I want to talk a little bit about hope, but not just any kind of hope for the things that I have just listed or highlighted. I want to talk about hope for something that we can know for sure that God wants us to have. And so the title for this message is quite simply, The Hope of Glory. The Hope of Glory. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. Spirit of the living God, open your children's ears that they may hear what you have to say. 
Lord, let us not be distracted by the visuals. Let us not be distracted, O oh God, by telecommunications, but let us be able to hear the innermost things, the deep things that are sometimes, O oh God, too deep even for words. Speak, O oh God, to the spirit of your people that they may walk away from today feeling edified and nourished by your Holy Spirit. But most of all, let them have a hope that is built in you. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The Greek philosopher Aristotle taught that everything has a natural end to which it is directed. For example, the end of an acorn is indeed an oak tree. And intrinsic in that acorn is everything that it needs in order to fully become an oak tree, particularly if it has all the things, the light, the soil, the nutrients, everything around it, all working together for that oak seed to become an oak tree. So with everything around the tree working together for the good of the oak, intrinsic within that acorn is the capacity and the ability to reach its expected end as an oak tree. Once the acorn has all of these things, it will undoubtedly flourish and become what it was designed to become. Likewise, every human being has the natural capacity to achieve his or her end according to the plans of God. Yet while we may not have everything that, that seems to be working together for our good, to think that we can achieve anything on our own, through our own means, and through our own resources is a heresy known as, here's a big word, Pelagianism, which denies our need for the grace of God. It is a heresy. Because it is the part of you that makes you think that you got to where you are today on your own. It is a heresy because it is the kind of thinking that tells you that you are going to get where you need to get to by your own strength, by your own devices, and by your own means. My brothers and sisters, let me be perfectly clear. It is a lie straight out of the pit of hell to think in any way, shape, or form that you can get to where you need to go on your own. It is a sin of which we all need to repent. God made us communal in nature. And when all things, including our relationships, including the way that we function in a world that our things are beyond our control, when we recognize and acknowledge the power, the authority, the sovereign of a holy God, until you get to that place, my brothers and my sisters, things may just not work altogether for your good. You need God. So to be a Christian means that you're a person that has hope. And everything about the Christian faith is about hope. 
As Christians, we hope for healing, as you heard me even in the prayer. As Christians, we hope for the blessings of God. As Christians, we have the hope of salvation. We have the hope for redemption, the hope for reconciliation, the hope in a resurrection, and of course, the hope for that glorious return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of all of God's purpose for his creation. You cannot call yourself a Christian and a believer and not be a person of hope. And apart from hope, hope that has its foundation deeply rooted in the God of the Bible. Every form of Christian doctrine becomes distorted and subject to error if it is not rooted in the knowledge of the God of the Bible. My brothers and my sisters, the point that I'm trying to make is simply this. Without a clear understanding that the God of the Bible, Jehovah, Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, is the source of all things, the initiator of all things, the architect and developer of all things, the chief cornerstone of all things, then we are a people to be most pitied. For we would have been duped into placing our hope into something that is not real. But what really is Christian hope? Is it a misguided faith in a fairy tale that's written in a book that was written, what, some 2,000 years ago that we call the Holy Bible? Well, I want to take a little time and give us a little bit of Bible study as I prepare us to understand this idea of Christian hope. The Bible, the Bible that we all so many of us take for granted, was actually written over 2,000 years ago, as I've said, but it's really nothing more than a library or a collection of 66 books written by over about 40 people in a period of over 1,500 years. It took about 1,500 years to write this book by some 40 people. These writers, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy and the third chapter, that they wrote while they were given the inspiration of God. Moses, we know, was the person who was attributed to writing the first five books, which we call the Pentateuch. And while John, while John, one of the disciples who loved Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, he wrote the very last book, which we know to be Revelation. All of these people wrote the Bible, and they all lived at different times. Some were separated by even hundreds of years. But in many cases, all these people who wrote the book of the Bible, they were strangers to each other. Some were businessmen, some were traders, others were shepherds, some were fishermen, soldiers, physicians, preachers, and kings. Human beings from all walk of life gave a testimony and a witness to the God of the Bible that we serve today. They all served under different governments, under different administrations, and they lived even within contrasting cultures, but they were all focused on one thing that was true, and that is the wonder of it all, that despite all the 66 books written over 1,500 years by people who did not even necessarily know each other, these 1,189 chapters in this book, 31,173 verses, are all brought together, and we find perfect harmony in the message they convey, which is a message of a hope in a God that loves us more than we know. The Bible is not simply an anthology. There is a unity which binds the whole thing together. The Bible, writers, 
They gave God's messages by voice and pen while they lived. And when they died, their writings still continue to inspire a world and a generation today. These prophetic messages, when they were gathered together under God's leading in the book, which we call the Holy Bible, they wrote what they saw. They wrote what they believed. They wrote what God told them. And my brothers and sisters, the only point that I'm making with this brief Bible study is simply that while the book had many writers, it had only one author. And that one author is God Almighty. He is Elohim. He is Adonai. He is Jehovah God. He is the Lord Almighty. And he is our hope for years to come. Fact of the matter is, the Proverbs remind us that trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not to your own understanding. And we live in a world today where many people see something. Many people hear something. Many people are believing things, but not realizing that sometimes it forces you to lean on what you think you know and what you think you understand, which sometimes can be at odds with what God has intended. Listen, we don't need to look further even today, and I will say it. We don't even need to look further today than even what's happening to the President of the United States. We pray that his family and all those who have contracted the COVID virus recover. But let us be perfectly clear. God is not a man that he should lie. And any spirit that seeks to exalt itself over the Creator God will be made low. So I don't know what you're hearing, and I'm certainly not wishing bad for anyone, but what I'm trying to tell you is that lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jehovah God, acknowledge Adonai, acknowledge Elohim, and he, and he alone, no president, no congress, no government can direct your path. He, and he alone is God. And the psalmist says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. So the Bible is a book of hope. No matter how much you may look around and see despair in your lives, the Bible, the God of the Bible is a God of hope, even in your affliction. From Abraham to Sarah, even to the present day. The people of Israel have placed their hope in the promises of a God who has entered into a covenant with them. But lest you get stuck in just the Old Testament, we need to see that the New Testament is saturated with the spirit of expectation and the spirit of hope. Jesus proclaims in word and deed that the reign of God is at hand. When he came up out of the baptism of John, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He taught his disciples how to pray. He said, listen, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What I'm telling you is the Bible in its entirety is pointing us to a hope in glory that is promised to those that truly believe. That truly believe. But, 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 but the question is, how are you to understand this hope in glory? How are we to understand this Christian hope? Preacher, what are you talking about? A hope in glory when I have all things around me falling apart. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that takes us now directly to Paul's letter to the Roman church. Paul in the eighth chapter of Romans, 
And the 21st verse made this point. He said, for in hope, we, wait a second, for in hope, we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now, now, now this text might be a little bit difficult for us to understand. So let me read another translation. And this translation is Eugene Peterson's The Message translation. And see if we can get a better sense of what he's saying, Paul is actually saying. Here's what Eugene says in the Message Bible. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. So in other words, there is a percolating that's going on inside the midst of every believer, despite all the calamity that we see around us. Things falling apart all around us, but something inside of us is percolating. Something inside of us seems to be germinating. Something inside of us seems to be getting ready to explode. But Eugene goes on further to say, we're also feeling the birth pangs, these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. Are you seeing the imagery? We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. I don't know about you, but that seems to me like a word within the word. The metaphor that he uses of a pregnant woman is exactly the picture of what Paul is describing. Every woman that gave birth to a child can tell you that despite the morning sickness, despite the swollen ankles, despite the constant hunger, despite the increase in weight, despite the nausea, despite the discomfort and pain, it was all bearable because there was an expectation at the end, an anticipation of a joy to come. And the longer the wait, the healthier the child. So too, like you and I, the pain that we are experiencing from loss and grief, the, the disappointments that we're facing through missed opportunities, the challenges that we are confronting with this deadly pandemic are all signs and they're all evidence that we are in fact growing even more closer to the delivery of our joy, which is our hope in glory. But let's not stop there. Let's look further at the text. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep even for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, 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 now to help us again, let's see how Eugene Peterson 
records this. He says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it does not matter. He does not, he, he, he does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He, he knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Now, now, now I don't know if you, if you heard it or if you understood it, but what Paul is telling us is simply that the pain of the pregnancy is excruciating. The pain is difficult and challenging. And even when you cry out, ah, in pain, the ah makes absolutely no sense. But the Spirit of God within you knows what the means and it's saying that that is a prayer to a God that you are acknowledging your pain and God knows the pain you're feeling that even when your words make absolutely no sense it means something to a God who would intercede on your behalf and turn your ah into the hope of glory for if you wait just a little while just a little while that ah is going to be turned into ah, the joy and the hope of glory. The Spirit of God, my brothers and my sisters, is our advocate. Always working on our behalf to make sure that while you go through this difficult process, while you go through this challenging process, you are not by yourself. And in fact, he's going to make sure that no harm comes your way while you are yet waiting on the delivery of the Lord. So my brothers and sisters, here's the bottom line. There is something that awaits you at the end of your travail. There is something that awaits you at the end of your trial that is worth all the stress and the pain that you are facing right now and that you are enduring. If you knew that every single disappointment you faced, every single heartache, every single pain and, and, and strife is absolutely necessary for you to deliver a healthy child, would you trade in your sorrow? And you and I know, and we can only speak as men, but you and I all know from the testimonies of women that they would suffer any pain to know that what they are bringing forth in this world is going to be healthy and free from harm and danger. So, so, so the pregnancy metaphor is really a good one to help you and I as Christian believers, as people of God and people of faith, to really understand what it is that God has in store for all those who will love him and all those who will work hard, knowing that all things work together for the good. And if that were not enough, 
just like all the scripture writers, all the biblical writers from, from, from Moses all the way through to John, they all witnessed, they all bear witness to what you and I are even hearing today. Because God, Jesus, he left us the model. Here's the model. In the first trimester, Jesus was betrayed, he was accused, he was spat upon, and he was ridiculed. That was the first trimester. In the second trimester, he was dehumanized, he was scourged, he was burdened with a cross, and he was flogged. And as he prepared for the third trimester, he was crowned with thorns, pierced in his hands, pierced in his feet, pierced in his side as he hung from the cross. As he dealt with the labor pains, he knew that there was something that was worth all of that pain that Jesus himself would not trade for anything in the world. He was stretched beyond his wildest imagination. And as he hung there on that cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He may as well have said, Lord, I will take it on even more. For what is yet coming is something that every person in this world will need today. And at the end of the third trimester, it was a time to deliver and nothing could stop this delivery. For on the third day, the water broke and creation's cervix was fully dilated. And out came the firstborn of all creation. And his name is Jesus. Jesus became our hope in glory when he was resurrected from the dead. Jesus became our hope in glory when he conquered the grave. Jesus became our hope in glory when he paid for your sins and for mine. Jesus became our hope in glory when he took on himself what we deserved. Jesus became our hope in glory when he ascended into heaven. Jesus became our hope in glory as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus became our hope in glory when he gave you and he gave me all authority. And with all that authority, no matter what you face in life, no matter what you experience in life, no matter how much the pain is excruciating, you have authority over things seen and things unseen. You can speak the word and you can change your circumstances. You can walk and trample on serpents. You are a child of the king and you are now appropriating Jesus who is our hope in glory. So my brothers and my sisters, the Christian hope is grounded in the resurrection of the crucified Christ, sustained by the presence and the promise of his life-giving spirit and oriented to that triunity of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth is full of his glory. This is the Christian faith. This is the Christian hope. Jesus is our hope in glory. And when Jesus, and when Jesus becomes our hope in glory, when he offers unto you the free gift of salvation to those who would 
just believe, then my brothers and my sisters, COVID or NOVID, you walk in victory. That is the hope of glory. So lift your heads high. Look to the hills. From whence cometh your help, for your help comes from the Lord. Walk in the truth of what this Bible has been witnessing to us all of these years. Believe in a God that knows you by name. And if you can do that, as you go through your pain, your birthing pains, remember that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.